This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, this is Mark Lloyd from The Night Shift. Welcome along to this podcast. And if you love watching your movies, then you're at the right places. This week on the show, we caught up with William Mullally, our movie critic, who told us all about House of the Dragons, which is really breaking all kinds of records on various platforms. And we also checked out The Sandman, which William is very, very positive about. We also spoke about The Bullet Train and much, much more. Do enjoy the podcast and join me live on the show weeknights 8 through 10, right here on Dubai Eye, 103.8. Welcome back into the show, and it's movie time once again. I've certainly missed chatting uh, to our movie critic, William Mullally, over the last few weeks. But uh, we are back to talk uh, all things that we need to be watching on the screen. William, I think we're going to start with House of the Dragon. And apparently history was made at HBO when this uh, prequel to Game of Thrones drew 9.99 million viewers across their uh, HBO platform. So a lot of eyeballs on this one, William. And that's just in the United States. 10 million people just in the United States. It doesn't count the millions that watched it across the Middle East on OSN or everywhere else in the world. This is a global event. I don't know if you saw, there was a great viral video of someone who was filming an apartment building while the Game of Thrones um, prequel House of Dragon premiere was happening. And you could see from the window every single house lighting up at the same time. So every <laughs> single person in the entire yeah. building was watching it. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, really you know, I mean, I know Game of Thrones was a huge uh, hit, um, but th- this sounds like it's, you know, could eclipse that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it'll ever eclipse that. I don't know if anything can. But the fact that we can even merely get close to a sort of, you know, monoculturalistic moment, something that unites everyone in one piece of entertainment, seemed impossible after Game of Thrones. You know, Game of Thrones ended three years ago, and there were so many articles that were written by my colleagues saying, is this the end? You know, are we all going to be segmented and scattered, and you're watching this on this streaming platform, and I'm watching this on this streaming platform, and everything's for smaller microgroups. Really, I think House of the Dragon is a, a... bold reclaim. It's strapping your back to this gigantic creature and trying to bring everyone together again, much like a Targaryen, the Aegon the Conqueror, coming to Westeros. They are coming for us and being like, okay, let's all get back on on one story, one epic adventure, and go to this together for the next several years. And I, it's working so far. But the question is, are people going to remain, or are they just kind of coming back? But I think, you know, in the right hands, this is a story that can really have legs. Literally fly. <laughs> <laughs> like the dragons. Let's hear the trailer then to this one, House of the Dragon. The dream was clearer than a memory. And I heard the sound of thundering hooves, splintering shields and ringing swords. And I placed my air upon the Iron Throne. And all the dragons roared as one. Consider the matter urgent. That of your succession. Who else would have a claim? The firstborn child. Rhaenyra. No queen has ever sat the Iron Throne. The king has an heir. Daemon Targaryen. I will not be made to choose between my brother and my daughter. Well, there's the trailer, House of the Dragon. Obviously a real appetite for it. As you say, William, will it have legs? Will it, you know, keep pulling in those huge numbers? Yeah, but I think... 
you know, I was speaking to the, the cast and crew. Um, I saw the first episode about a month ago, and I've been so excited. I've been rewatching Game of Thrones just because I've been pulled back in myself. But honestly, I do think that, you know, this is in the right hands because not only now are these incredibly talented people that have all been brought together to do this, it's also, you know, in the hands of George R. R. Martin, you know, the guy who made Game of Thrones in the first place. He wrote the books. He is the main creative voice that those first, you know, six seasons were based on. And once they divulged from his work, that's when people stopped liking the show as much. Yeah. But he is one of the creators of the show, and he is someone who has overseen every aspect of how it, and he handpicked the people that are a part of it. So speaking to, you know, Ryan Condal, the, the co-creator, I think it was it's very much about executing you know, George's vision and having him be a part of the show and having it be properly a Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire property and not just something that's trying to imitate that from other voices. You know, George hired me. So, uh, and I came to this as a, as a fan. So I, uh, so he was very involved at the beginning. I mean, this, the show obviously does not exist without him. Uh, uh, he, he, wrote, he wrote the original source material. Um, this was the, the spinoff or the successor show that I think he was most interested in uh, of all the ones that HBO was considering and exploring. So certainly at the very beginning in the, in the kind of conceptual phase, uh, George was very involved. But I think, you know, having gone through that with him and uh, building out the plan for, for the pilot and the, the, the vision for the show and what time period it was going to cover and what what uh, events it was going to focus on. Um, as more and more of those details came together and George uh, felt assured in his, uh, in, his, uh, in his writing partner and me and knowing that I knew the source material and deeply cared about it and wanted to render a faithful adaptation, I think he felt better and better about it. And then once, once Miguel got involved, George knew and, and really uh, loved and trusted him from the original series. So I think George, uh, likes to be involved, I think, at the, you know, conceptual inset stage of, uh, of, of the show. And then at once, once that is going and he thinks it's going in the right direction, he's certainly read scripts and outlines and seen cuts and inform. He just likes to know what's going on and, and likes to know that things are all on the right track, which I think, thankfully, uh, he has. Well, there we are then, the creator of uh, this uh, amazing House of the Dragon that's pulling in so many uh, viewers at the moment. So um, where can we see this in this region, William? So this one is premiering only on OSN. And it also has, you know, a tremendous cast. Um, and really, I think, you know, that's led by, you know, Patty Considine, uh, Matt Smith, you know, Emma D'Arcy and Olivia Coker we're going to see in the coming episodes because we're going to have a time jump. Because, okay, so let's set up the basic plot of this show. Yeah. We have a situation in which this isn't a sprawling a sort of Game of Thrones thing where we have our two main characters. We're not going to meet until the eighth season like we did over there. This is really a story of four characters. This is a king who is failing to provide a male heir. Yep. His daughter who may be able to fill those shoes if people will believe in her. His brother who's the rightful heir who is also a hothead who no one will trust in the system but has the goods. And the best friend of the daughter who, although she is allegiant to her best friend, seems to have eyes on the king who is without a queen for herself. So it's this little dynamic that's in play that I think makes it so intriguing and makes us feel like we're already kind of in the meat of the story rather than seeing the, the pieces build over years and years like we did on Game of Thrones. And I think, 
you know, having, you know, Matt Smith here, who's just a tremendous actor who, you know, we've spoken to before, um, for, you know, whether that's Doctor Who yeah. or The Crown, Morbius earlier this year, his really is able to bring this sort of unpredictability to this character of Damon Targaryen that he plays following the, the Targaryen family 200 years before um, Game of Thrones and before Daenerys Targaryen was born. And I think really speaking to Matt, he is so excited to be able to play all the shades of gray that this character offers. I think I'm still unlocking those doors with Damon. There's a lot going on. Um, I guess, I suppose the, the sort of thing about it is I didn't want it to be one linear thing. I think it was it would be quite easy for it to just be like a bad guy who's good at fighting, and I didn't want it to be that. I actually think there's a huge fragility and an underlying weird sense of loyalty and value that underpins Damon, however distorted that may be. Um, and I, that's that's the bit I'm interested in, really. And it's still I'm still going with that. I'm still sort of exploring that idea. I think, but it's not one linear bad guy thing. He's not that. He sees sort of so much more. Well, there's Matt Smith then talking about his character in House of the Dragon, already uh, a huge hit, and uh, who knows where it's heading. Um, so that's um, one big one. We're going to be coming back with uh, another as well called Sandman. That's on the way right here on the by I-103.8. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai I-103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show. We are in conversation with William Mullally, our movie critic. We were just talking about House of the Dragon there, but another one that we want to touch on is The Sandman, William. What do we know about this? So, as you know, House of the Dragon is, I think, taking the conversation this week, but for the past few weeks, the number one piece of entertainment in the world has been the Sandman over yeah. Netflix. It's yeah. just, it's gotten huge views. It's been the number one and, you know, I think almost a hundred countries. And it's also a story that has roots more than 30 years in the past and a huge fandom, including people such as William Mullally, um, <laughs> that have loved this world for years and years. We're so happy to see it executed properly. You know, the writer Neil Gaiman wrote this comic book on which it is based back starting in the 1980s through the 1990s about the king of the dream world, you know, as if when we dream, we do go to another place. Yeah. And there is a man, the Sandman, Dream, or Morpheus, as he is called, he has many, many names throughout the series, who controls this and is at one point kidnapped on Earth. And then finally, after breaking three, is rebuilding the world that he had once created that has now fallen into ruin. And that is the story that we find ourselves in. And I think Neil Gaiman came on to co-create this himself. You know, he also has done things such as, you know, um, the Coraline, the tremendous animated film um, from a few years ago, also based on his book. And really, I think it's his world, and he has known how to bring it out in the best possible way, most accurate possible way, and bringing on actors such as Tom Sturridge to interpret that and to find, you know, this very sort of, you know, late 80s goth character yeah. who just seems larger than life and giving him the, the gravitas that he needs was meticulous, not only from the creators, but from Tom himself, who I think spent so much time thinking about just what he looks like, what he sounds like, and how he moves around the scene. And I think it was really fascinating to watch, you know, him walk me through that process. I mean, the first, the first thing, to be honest, the first questions I had for Neil were, what does he look like? And what does he sound like? 
which may sound counterintuitive because it, it, there are a litany of um, images of him in these books. But we started doing camera tests. And again, as a fan, all I wanted to do was literally realize the, the, the images that were in the, in the graphic novels. And so uh, we painted my skin as white as A4 paper. We put black contact lenses in my eyes. I had wild, huge hair um, and the extraordinary um, costumes made by Sarah Arthur. And, um, and it was perfect. It was a perfect representation. But the thing that Neil said was that if Morpheus walks down the streets of New York or London, no one should notice him. Uh, perhaps they feel a presence, but no one should, he should blend in with all humanity. Um, and so I would walk down the corridors of Shepparton and people would be like, Whoa, like, what are you wearing? You look like, uh, whatever. Um, and so it didn't work. Um, and so it, it took a long time. It took multiple camera tests to kind of, to get to a place where Neil was like, Tom, you look sickly pale anyway your hair is always messy and um i can see the cosmos in your eyes <laughs> there's tom sturridge then talking about his experience of the sandman let's hear the trailer for this one your waking world is shaped by dreams dreams and nightmares that i create and which I must control. He's out there looking for me, isn't he? Can you imagine the damage he could do? I need your help. If dreams disappear, then so will humanity. I could do without dreams for a while. I haven't had a decent night's sleep in ages. I'm not going to stop until I've reshaped this world. What power of dreams can well, there's the trailer then for uh, The Sandman and doing really well, as, as William mentioned there, the probably the most popular piece of entertainment over the last few weeks. Uh, it sounds like you're enjoying it as well, William. Honestly, they even released a, um, a brand new special episode that was unannounced just last weekend and so I'm hoping that soon they announce the second season because I'm just at this point dying to see more I've even I spent 800 dirhams over at Kino Kunia to buy them all <laughs> buying all the books again oh, and no. I'm reading them because I'm, I'm fully pulled back in I've bought this like three times it's like yeah, I, I need I an excuse I'm, I'm back in yeah you're completely back in now I just want to turn our attention to uh, the cinemas William uh, what's showing over there um, I mean just before I went on vacation I saw Bullet Train which of course we can still go along and see it's a new one from Brad Pitt. Um, how's it faring? Bullet Train is doing really well, actually. Um, the region has really fully embraced the film, and people are also really loving it. You know, it's weird because it's one of those films that you know, I was raving about, but then you look at Rotten Tomatoes, and that's something like a 50%. Yeah. Which is so, I just don't know. I mean, speaking as a critic, I don't understand critics anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't understand how they judge movies because this is a genuinely, it's so fun. It's so, you know, classic, you know, late 90s, yeah. early 2000s entertainment. People are saying, oh, it's a Tarantino ripoff. It's like, no, it's just, it's a style and they're riffing on it and they're doing it well and yeah. filling the scenes with people who are so good and so committed to doing that well. 
and it really sings. It really does. It it, it flies like a dragon, you might say. It and does. I, I think um, Bullet Train hopefully will continue to zip along in cinemas, although it is going to be facing some stiff competition in the next few weeks. Now, um, what's all this Harry Potter returning, Prisoner of Azkaban? That's um, kind of showing in uh, a lot of cinemas at the moment. A, a revival in Mr. Potter? Uh, I think we're going to keep getting dribs and drabs, um, re-releases, I think, especially as cinema comes back in. Um, you know, I, I think it's so much fun to go see these films again on the big screen. And I think the more that we get sucked into the passive viewing or, you know, putting something on a streaming service and leaving it on in the background, you forget how magical these films are. Yep. And so having films such as, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban, which is a tremendous film, directed by Alfonso Cuaron, one of the best filmmakers in the modern era, is so much better when you go see the cinema. And I think even next month, you know, Avatar will be coming back into UAE cinemas on the 22nd of September. And I'm so excited for that because it's the grandeur of what people at Corona and people what James Cameron can come up with that makes cinema going culture survive and makes it vital and makes it powerful and makes me, you know, love what I do. Uh, Finally, William, before I let you go, a little piece of news I came across today. Ryan Gosling apparently in talks to join Margot Robbie in a new Ocean's Eleven. This is, of course, off the back of them starring together in uh, the new Barbie movie. Well, that's the thing. If they are not playing Barbie and Ken (laughs) going on a heist, I'm not going to watch it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, obviously enjoying each other's company at the moment. Yeah, and I think when you find great chemistry with people, I think now more than ever you stick with those people. So, you know, the same way that we see Kevin Hart and The Rock also together in cinemas right now in DC League and Super Pets, it seems like, you know, Ryan um, and Margot do have a tremendous chemistry. And I think, you know, they're also both underrated as... You know, comedy actors. They're also yeah. great for their physicality, so great for action. And so I think even though we don't realize how funny those two are, I think we're going to see it once we see Barbie. And I think people are going to be aching to see them on a Danny Ocean esque heist film. Um, so hopefully this is a rumor that comes true. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.